Good evening, godless sodomites. Hey everyone, welcome to the Excommunication Station. This is Chaz, and today we have another special episode where I have an interview for you. This time it is with a man you may know if you are in the deconstruction community. His name is Phil Drysdale. Uh, he is the host of the Phil Drysdale Show. Uh, he also does a lot of other cool stuff on the internet, which we'll get into. Helping others deconstruct from their faith um, or just deconstruct from the church because not necessarily your faith, as I learned going through this interview. Um, so enjoy it. I had a lot of fun. Uh, we're both open and honest. Phil speaks a lot, which is okay. He admits to it. And uh, it's quite enjoyable because I learned a ton of stuff that as I'm editing this and listening to it, I'm going to go back through and have to write everything down that I missed out on. But Phil, thank you very much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we'll be able to talk again soon sometime. Uh, for everybody else... We need to do the most important thing, and that is to pray. So hold the hand of the person next to you, bow your heads, and if you're driving, let Jesus take the wheel. Hey, it's been a longer day for you, longer than usual, and you're very tired, more tired than usual, and you want to know if God even hears you. Listen, he does hear you, but he's a good father, and he, a good father doesn't give everything a kid wants does that make sense like if i want a ferrari when i'm 12 i can't handle it even if i want it you have to realize he's a good a good father a good dad and he loves you a lot but sometimes the best answer for you is a no good i i'm always a bit manic i feel like this is <laughs> all over the place and running like crazy and had a hospital appointment this morning we've just got a new puppy like a couple months ago and that's been Aww. just crazy it's amazing but it's just pretty non-stop um yeah with a baby you put them somewhere and they stay there a dog doesn't do that and <laughs> and dogs you know i've never met a baby that would eat your curtains so you know it's <laughs> Uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, okay. yeah, I've, I have, I have two kids and I have two dogs. So, okay. Yeah. So we have a full house. You got yeah. a good, like you got a spreadsheet on destruction. You can give me good uh, data on that. Yeah. <laughs> buy cheap furniture. And, uh, yeah, that's all I can really uh, say for like, Ikea is great. Um, so we just loaded up on Ikea furniture and let the dogs and the kids have at it and yeah. Hammer marks and drawings all over everything along with dog teeth so you yeah know. That's, yeah. The, that's the way at least dogs can't hold hammers i mean that's a that's a plus you, they'll figure it they out try day. actually Evolution. yeah yeah <laughs> right around with it, i guess yeah <laughs> yeah no but i'm doing well how are you i'm doing good um yeah i just wanted to be open and honest with you with uh with what happened the other day because 
I talked about it in therapy and like you not showing up at that time really did something like triggering like um, perceived rejection. And I I'm figuring out ways how to handle that. So Mm. in a weird way, thank you for doing that. (laughs) Um, It took me, it gave me something to go into therapy with where I had something concrete to be like, yo, this is happening. And like, this is happening for years. And I got to figure out how to stop it from happening Mm. because it's all in my head. Like this is so, you know, we went back and traced over why and how, and, you know, religion came up so in the church so yeah well yeah i i am very sorry as i said and also you are welcome um if it's any consolation as well i also had a whole bunch of stuff there so i'm sitting there like you know yeah i i can i'm I'm a little bit autistic so i'm very very particular about times i'm very particular about my my schedule my order like my wife asked me like three times over the prior two days what time is your call on thursday whatever day it was whatever day and i was like it's it it's at 12 my time. I've seen it. It's in my calendar. I know. <laughs> I get upstairs, I sit down and I'm like, oh, you've sent a link. Cool. I open my calendar and it's like, it's not at 12 in the calendar anymore. It's moved to two, to 10. And yeah. I don't know. I, I misread it somewhere or whatever. And so I also had some opportunities going, okay, maybe beating yourself up for hours isn't because I'm sitting there going, dude, this guy got up at 5 a.m. for you and you're like just <laughs> blowing him off like some dickhead. Um, but yeah, so I, I also sat there for a while and going, okay, Phil, what are you needing to process? And mm-hmm. so hopefully it was a growing point for both of us. So. Yeah, I think it honestly, um, oh. it, it was a big... It, you know what? It gave me something concrete to grab onto to to show an example that I where I was very aware it was happening. Yes. Um. And so yeah. So it was. I tr- I'm trying to take more things and look at them in a way of how I can fix myself. So, um, not that it's perfect because it never no, is but that's but a that's a good good thing to be doing for sure you're not I gonna uh, regret that i imagine maybe yeah. in the moment when you're <laughs> wailing in the corner but <laughs> it's amazing how much religion does i mean the rejection yeah. stuff that i mean i come across it day in day out talking to people and and obviously in deconstruction you just have a whole nother level of rejection to experience as well because yeah. most people are going to come across people pastors friends family rejecting them but mm-hmm. actually mm-hmm. categorically rejecting them because they now believe something wrong or whatever not compatible or yeah it's it's, it's a doozy yeah <laughs> so. yeah and like just rejecting your questions rejecting your your feelings your boundaries like everything mm. and it's just it goes a lot deeper than just you know uh my parents didn't listen to me or whatever it goes beyond that level into another category of like another institution you're supposed to trust and and you know it's supposed to protect you and it does the exact opposite so but we're getting into this really quick no yeah we uh, shouldn't get we shouldn't get into yeah. it too quick all right <laughs> so i uh, can i get a little background information from you is sure, that okay absolutely. yeah yeah right. absolutely so i'm i'm joined uh, I'm sorry I didn't announce it before, but uh, Phil Drysdale, is that how you pronounce your last name? Yep, and that's right. You come from the UK. I do. Uh, so thank you for joining me. We have a big time difference. Um, but 
you are, I was scrolling Instagram when we first started doing this podcast and I was like, I got to like, I just dove into this without knowing there was any like type of community or different podcasts. And I was just like, this is just something I was talking to my therapist about it. I really want to do this. So Mm. it took me a while and I came across your page and I was just like, whoa, this guy is like posting a ton of stuff that like, I'm like taking in and like, he says his DMs are open. So I messaged you and you got back to me right away. So thank you. Um, yeah, of course. But give me some background on you. Where, uh, what type of church did you grow up in? If, I, if I'm assuming right that you grew up in the church. I did. Um, I'm a PK. And- <laughs> I'm a pastor's kid. So I grew oh, really? up in the church. Okay. More time in the church than at home. You know. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Uh, what kind of uh, pastor's kid? What, what denomination? Well, it's a bit complex because we're in the UK. The U.S. is a weird bubble. So I grew up Baptist, but Baptist in America means a very different thing than the most yeah. majority of the world. I mean, even in America, Baptist is complex. There's dozens of different Baptist denominations. <laughs> and when we hear the word Baptist, we think Southern Baptists or First Baptists or kind of more very con, uh, conservative Baptists. Okay, uh, okay. But that's not what Baptists initially began. In fact, Baptists began, kind of fun tidbits, throwaway. Baptists began because they thought people were putting too much value in the Bible and allowing the Bible to dictate what God was like, not Jesus. Um, which mm. is funny because now if I was to throw away the sentence Baptist to most American people, they would think, oh yeah, people that allow the Bible to dictate what God's like, not Jesus. <laughs> so, um, it, it's, it's maybe gone full circle, but yeah. So my dad was a charismatic to put it in context. So he was charismatic okay. and we were at Baptist. So, I mean, it's not going to look like what many uh, American people are going to think when we kind of use the denominational terms. And that happens a lot in America, actually. A lot yeah. of the denominations don't look exactly the same. You guys are a little bit more rigid with your labels. You, you, yeah. You're a lot more dualistic. It feels like there's a little bit more give and take over in Europe with some of the denominations. Yeah. When I, when I ask people, uh, when they come on and I talk to them, uh, I kind of, I ask them denominations, but I also ask region of the country that they grew up in. Yes. Because it's very important. Because yeah. we would have a Baptist church up here because I, I live in uh, Pennsylvania outside Philadelphia. Yeah. It's completely different from one of our other hosts that is uh, that lives in Florida. And yes. it's different worlds, different denominations, even though they fall under the same uh, yeah. the same label. Yeah, I've been so, to a few but... Baptist church up that way, American Baptists and things Ooh. like that. And yeah, <laughs> it's it's a whole world, right? The whole you it think is. you know Christianity and you just like live in this tiny bubble within this bubble, mm-hmm. which is a bigger bubble again. And at some point you sort of break outside of Christianity and go, Holy crap. What was all those bubbles? So, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so you say charismatic, are we talking about speaking in tongues or oh, just definitely. Eccentric? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Speaking in tongues, healing. They weren't crazy about it because there was a very broad, um, uh, diverse group in the churches mm-hmm. my dad was a part of. Um, and so it wasn't like a crazy charismatic service with like, you know, Benny him, like slapping people yeah. with your jacket, yeah. you know, pick them up, pick them up and speaking in yeah. tongues and prophesying. <laughs> but that kind of stuff did happen day mm-hmm. in, day out and day to day life for my parents. My parents were very, they weren't your mega church pastors, right? They did absolutely everything. I think in the UK, it's a lot more common that pastors is usually one pastor that does everything. They're youth pastor, associate pastor, senior pastor. Oh, they wow. put the chairs out, okay. they do everything. And generally speaking, people are a lot more like, I attend this church. You're the pastor. That's why I'm paying some tithes. Um, okay. And so, 
yeah, they really did everything um, and and worked hard. And I looked at that and I respected that growing up. Um, as a young kid, I was kind of like, this isn't for me, though. This is for old people. As I became a teenager, we moved. My dad uh, was no longer a pastor. He was a chaplain. And that meant we could pick a church. And so we picked okay. a church with 100 people in the youth group, which in the UK is unheard of. Like a 100-person church is a big church uh, in the UK. Oh, okay. A very big church, generally speaking. We, have a, <laughs> we probably have a handful of churches in the whole of the UK that are over 500 people. Um, oh, and wow. so that just doesn't happen. Um, and uh, we're just very different. We're a very, very different culture over here in, uh, in Europe. And we have a lot less Christianity as well. Um, but that meant that Christianity suddenly became very relevant to me because it was 100 teens, right? And mm -hmm. all the good-looking girls were there. And as a straight guy, <laughs> I was like, I am here for this Christianity thing. Um, and uh, so I got really into Christianity from probably the age of 15. I dove in hard. And talking about the bubbles, I kept bursting out of bubbles. I was like, this is amazing, but mm -hmm. we need to do Christianity better. There's got to be more to this. What about this thing in the Bible? Maybe we need to explore that. Maybe this. And so I quickly kind of like started church hopping maybe every year every two years i'd be this isn't quite right though there's more to christianity than this you know I, I, what they say healing the sick i want to i want to go to a church where they heal sick people um and so did that and then i was like oh but they say they you know love the poor but i don't know any church where like they're feeding yeah. all the homeless people in the town yeah. or you know sheltering people that are have become orphans and adopting them i want to do that and so i was constantly looking for a more authentic expression of Christianity. Eventually gave up my business. I walked away from, I ran an IT company in the oil industry, moved over to America to join a Bible school, got really into that, started working for that. Um, it was a mega church, quite a large mega church, worked for them for a while, started to travel and speak in conferences and churches. I wow. was like, serious yeah. about my faith. Yeah. You, you know, I, I was probably a terrible Christian, but I was a passionate <laughs> one, um, you know? whatever good Christian might have meant. Anyway, that's a, always mm -hmm. a, a debatable thing. But I was really passionate about what I what I believed. And, and I was constantly challenging my beliefs. I was constantly reading new uh, ideas. And, you know, in one week, I might read a, a Bill Johnson charismatic book and a John Piper, uh, you know, uh, hedonistic gospel book. Yeah. And then a Brian McLaren, uh, you know, new type of Christianity. Uh, you know, I, I, and I mentioned those three books because there was a week where I was reading all three of those books and my Bible college roommate was like dude who the hell are you like what are you reading <laughs> these are so different and i was yeah. like yeah but they all have something about christianity that i want to be pulling on um and so my very nature by default was always to ask questions and to challenge what i believed in and so i was probably a little bit odd in some ways as a christian i think a lot of christians are like that but i think a lot of christians kind of stay in one kind of lane kind of read books from their own denomination their own kind of yeah. um circuit i think a lot of christians are are groomed to do that as well you only read oh, yeah. books by our sanctioned list books in the bookstore you know whatever um yeah. whatever it might be books by the pastor if you're a big enough church you've got enough books read written by staff um <laughs> but uh yeah. So, but in that process of constantly asking questions, I, I asked too many questions. I started to ask questions that started to push me to answers that were really outside of most Christian circles would find them acceptable. So most of the time I'd find a, yeah, okay, this church isn't very open to healing, but I can find some churches that are open to healing or this church doesn't believe that about the end times, but yeah. you can find a church somewhere that believes a different end times idea. Yeah. Um, but at some point I started to ask questions where I was like, oh, I can't really talk about this too much because people are going to start doubting I'm a Christian, which I, yeah. I didn't. I, I really believed in Jesus. Um, but I was asking these questions. Uh, things like, you know, I started to explore um, things like the afterlife and came to understand that an early church and throughout much of the church up until about the 1500s, maybe 12, 1500s, 
um, there was a great deal of different beliefs about what happened mm -hmm. in the afterlife. Many people were universalistic. Many people believed in a restorative version of hell that would lead people to be in heaven long term, mm -hmm. things like that. Um, but most churches in the modern Protestant worlds will not have you hang around for long if you're going to talk about believing any of those things. So starting to think of things like that, starting to think of things like, OK, the historical Jesus, the Jesus that we can be sure of, might not look exactly like the Jesus in all these four books. Yeah. Some of this might be elaborated, uh, you know, and, and maybe uh, might be pushing the bounds of what actually happens for the sake of a narrative or something yeah. like that. And so some of these things you really couldn't talk about. But here I am traveling and speaking. I mean, I was speaking in hundreds of churches, um, traveling all over the world. And, and what's interesting is I don't know if I was given off a vibe, the things I was talking about. I always kind of kept to fairly safe topics, but probably was a bit edgy. Um, yeah. I had my age and different things on my side so that you can be a bit edgy. You'd yeah. always get the pastor to come up and pray a prayer that kind of undid what they didn't believe anyway. Um, and what I found was as I was traveling, I'd find more and more people coming up to me at the end and going, hey, Phil, could I ask you a question? I'm like, yeah, of course. And they're like, what, what do, you do you, do you really think Jesus died and rose again? Or do you, do you really think that Mary was a virgin? Or do you really think there's a hell? Is, do you think God's like that? that he'd burn people in hell because they're gay? Mm -hmm. Uh, or they start asking these questions that I had asked and I had come to some different conclusions, but I wasn't really able to talk about openly. And I'm realizing, oh my gosh, there's loads of us here. Every church I went to, dozens of people were asking these questions. I think because when you're traveling, you're this anonymous, safe person. You can't yeah. ask your pastor that because if you do, you don't get to go to that church anymore. Oh yeah. You, yeah. you can't even tell your wife that maybe. Or your your husband, yeah. or you know your your mother, or your you know that could have real consequences on you don't get invited to Thanksgiving anymore, or there's a divorce coming, or you know mm -hmm. it could be some serious consequences. But you could ask Phil, this kind of weird, <laughs> crazy young guy that's come to church. He's definitely not getting invited back after that crappy sermon. Mm -hmm. So we're never seeing this guy again. I can tell him all my worries. Um, and I started to realize, you know what? Maybe I should just be more open, talk about what I believe, what I don't believe, what I'm not sure about you know, just mm -hmm. be a bit open and give people that are asking those questions a space to explore and to see that happen on a, on a public stage. Yeah. Um, and over time, I, I actually started to shift away from talking about my own beliefs. We talked about this before yeah. I came on. Yeah. I'm like, I don't like yeah. talking about my beliefs because actually what I found is most people have to come to terms with their own beliefs in their own journey. And I don't mm -hmm. want to be another spiritual authority telling you what the right thing to believe is. But what I did find is that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people um, that are going through this process of questioning, um, coming to new conclusions, new ideas, or even holding uncertainty with their hands wide open going, I don't actually know what I believe. Yeah. And finding that means that they are no longer welcome in their communities. Maybe they can't quite connect with their friends the way they used to, or maybe they're having problems in their families and their marriages and um, whatever it might look. Maybe it looks like they've been kicked out of church. Maybe it looks like they haven't been kicked out of church, but they kind of feel like it's time to leave. Um, and, and there's complexity to all of this. Um, you know, I do a lot of research into the community of deconstruction, but basically that's what I do now is I help people. I talk with people that are going through this process. I give them space to process and to explore mm -hmm. new ideas without guiding them or, or pushing them. Um, I, I, I say like, I, I don't, choose any paths for you i don't even point to the right paths for you but i'll hold your hand while we walk down the path if you need yeah. um, and that's really okay. what i do day in day out uh, on the side i do a lot of research so I'm, I, i've always got lots of data points and percentages <laughs> and things like that because it really one of the things that really annoys me is as this whole movement of people starting to deconstruct their faith is massively underrepresented in data 
So generally speaking, some Christian celebrity will deconstruct, right? Some worship pastor or something. Yeah. And it's big, they're big enough that it's a big deal. Um, or, you know, John Piper's son will come out as having deconstructed his faith and they're yeah. like, oh, John Piper's a big deal. We should, we should talk about this. But then they go and ask John Piper or they go and ask whoever, right? You know, some big Christian celebrity. Um, hey, what is deconstruction? What, what's happening? And they talk nonsense. They don't know what it is. They haven't done it. They've certainly, if they have talked to anyone that has done it, they've not listened. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah. you know that based on how they yeah. respond, you know, that oh, they're just, uh, it's just their backslidden or they don't, they never really believed or they just want a, a license to sin or the recent article that came out a week ago or whatever. They just want street creds because have you ever met anyone that questioned their faith and grew in street cred? They, yeah, they got isolated yeah. and you know whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, a lot of rambling, but that's kind of no because I, I want today. I have, that's kind of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, I have questions actually about some of that stuff that you just mentioned. Um, right. So I walked away from the church when I uh, about 20 years ago, and I just kind of ignored it, uh, like everything that had happened. I moved away from my where I was living and just kind of tried to push it to the back and like through therapy I've been coming through a lot of the stuff uh it's been coming up and you know I've been talking about it and on the podcast and everything but I had never heard this term deconstruct before uh other than the food network where they talk about <laughs> food being deconstructed I I honestly heard that term and I was just like I have like are we taking apart food I don't understand what's going on um I was talking to my friend Jamie, who's still a Christian and still involved in the church, but she's going to like, she's like, I have no idea what that term means, but it's like a big term now. Um, but I feel like that we were doing that like a long time ago, but uh, we didn't have a community that's, sure. that, that's, that's alive now. So yeah. can you explain what deconstruction is? Like, sure. uh, like I'm a brand new person to this. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, it's really complex. Uh, it's very yeah. simple, but it's, it's a complex thing because it means different things to different people. And so if you type deconstruction into Google, you can get everything from, um, you know, a brick maker, uh, bricklayer uh, telling you it's about taking a house apart, right? It's about yeah, a wrecking yeah. ball smashing a house. And a lot of people associate and they go, oh, that's what they're doing. They're just smashing their faith to bits. And that might be partially true. If there's a Venn diagram, you'll probably find truth in all these different things I share. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the other side of it is um, from a much more academic side. Um, so you have a postmodern philosopher called Derrida, Jax Derrida, and he came up with the concept of deconstruction as a philosophy. And that's to do with language and how every word is ultimately linked to every other word that's ever been penned or said. And yeah. every time you say a word, it brings on new meaning and it's linked to every other word. And so you have to actually take apart every single word every time you say it. And it's very complex. And most people don't understand Derrida. Mm -hmm. Derrida feels like he doesn't understand Derrida because he's deconstructing <laughs> his own sentences as he's writing them. You know, it's, 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 yeah. it's very heady and very messy. And there's maybe some of that going on as well if we had these Venn diagrams. So they're not necessarily wrong, but they're not specifically what this community largely is focused on. Um, most people, um, it seems, have just inherited this term. I don't know who came up with it, what kind of must have been some fairly big people that were doing this process that had some sort of community that were mm -hmm. online. I'm not sure. I know that Naked Pastor was using the term six, seven years ago. He's a very big person. A lot of people yeah. know and follow Naked Pastor. Um, so maybe someone like him throughout the statement, throughout, uh, maybe used it in an analogy. And other people went, yeah, I'm deconstructing. And it, took, it, it 
you know, avalanche from there. I'm not sure. It's an unfortunate word in a lot of ways because it has um, a lot of people um, apply a very negative connotation to it and just kind of write it off. Or people look at Jack Sterida, scratch their head and kind of walk away. Um, But basically, we can kind of give some sort of um, cold, hard definition of it based on our data. We we do a lot of research in the deconstruction community. We we research people that identify as it. And so almost from a reverse engineered, we can say, oh, who are these people? So Mm -hmm. who these people are is they tick three boxes. The first box is that they've questioned their faith tradition and found the tradition unable to give answers. And so doesn't mean that you're a Christian. You could be Muslim and deconstruct. Mm-hmm. You can be Jehovah Witness, Christian, you know, whatever, Catholic. Um, but the point is that you are questioning the tradition that you've come from and gone, I'm not sure about some of the core beliefs. It's about core beliefs as well. It's not really about peripheral things. Like I said, you can change your mind about the rapture, but even in a quite a crazy fundamental church, most of them will be like, ah, yeah, you kind of believe differently. You're wrong, but we'll let you kind of hang around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But if you start questioning some core beliefs, you start questioning, uh, is God really uh, three persons in one? Maybe that's quite a big thing for a lot of people. That would lead to heresy. Yeah. That would be your act. Um, yeah. And so I often say the reason, the way you know it's a core value of your faith tradition is imagine going up to your pastor and saying, hey, I don't believe this. Very quickly, you know, if you're questioning a core value or not based on how much sweat you produce just <laughs> thinking about that situation, right? Um, so that's that's the first box. The second box is that you then, because the faith tradition was unable to satisfactorily answer your question. Now, everyone in the faith tradition, generally speaking, will say they've satisfactorily answered it, right? Um, how come God can perform genocide and still be good? Well, God's ways are not our ways. And it's like, that works for you, but that's not answering yeah. my question for me. Mm-hmm. So the second part is that you then have to change somebody's core values. You start to go, I don't believe that that God is good then. So I believe that either that God is wrong or that God changed or Jesus was talking about a different God or something quite fundamental you have to change in order to, could be, I don't believe in God anymore. Could be you become mm-hmm. quite atheistic or maybe you become agnostic and you go, well, there probably is some sort of spiritual being, but it's certainly not that one that kills kids and dogs and women yeah. and men indiscriminately yeah. um so that second point has to happen as well so this is what i don't like a lot of people talk about deconstruction as, as just destruction right that idea of just taking down a house yeah. but actually in the very nature of your deconstruction while you do take apart some parts of your faith you're actively replacing it even if you're becoming an atheist you go from to not believe in god is an active belief okay. i do yeah. not okay. believe in yeah. god so, so a lot of people go, well, you can't just believe nothing. I've never met anyone that believes nothing. Like it's yeah. kind of a straw man. It's a real, it's a yeah. real straw man that if, if you think about it. So that's a key component to this deconstruction process is people start to build new concepts of what they believe and build upon that. The third part, and this is really interesting. And this generally speaking takes time to develop is that you then hold your new core values much less fundamentally. So you actually hold things with much less black and white certainty, much less fundamental dualism. And you kind of, even though you go, I used to believe this and now I believe that, you can go, but I'm not so sure that I would always believe that. Maybe I'm wrong or maybe maybe I'm right, but I'm not entirely sure. I've been wrong before. So you find that actually people at Deconstruct tend to actually have quite a lot uh, to use a very scriptural word, humility, right? There's a lot of humility in it when they're going, I believe this now, but I'm not so sure it's definitely right. Or even though I'm going to live, I'm sh- like, I'm sure it's right. 
I'm going to hold it openly and be open to new information to um, to be proven wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm very open to that. You'll find a lot of people at Deconstruct tend to lean much more um, towards uncertainty and, and holding things uh, with open hands. So what those about, three components are generally key. When it comes to more social issues, is that have you dove into that as far as because I know as far as uh, I've seen people that because I don't have this research, it's just anecdotally uh, that like I've seen the people that I've talked to and associated with that they've gone more I don't know, leftist or liberal with their <laughs> social stuff, but they're more concrete and firm in like social activism and um, like I'm going to stand firm in uh, yeah. trans rights or LGBTQ rights. Sure. Um, yeah. Have you been seeing more of that uh, as yeah. opposed to like, that's very, I don't very know what fun. happens in the afterlife, you know, kind sure. of thing like that. What you'll find is that um, as time develops, so this boils down to human developmental theory, um, which is a subset of psychology. So within psychology, you have a, a, a category called developmental theory, which has been around for about 85, 90 years. And that's where people have studied humans over long periods of time and Mm -hmm. gone, how do humans grow up? So child development theory is the most obvious and easy one to look at because anyone with a kid can go, yeah, there's a stage where they don't have an ego yet. They don't know that they're different than their parent. And then they suddenly realize and suddenly they're screaming no all the time because they have an identity. Uh, But they don't really understand that your identity isn't their identity. So they don't understand that when they steal your chocolate bar, you're sad. They just think I'm happy. Everyone must be happy. Mm -hmm. And eventually they start to get empathy and they start to go, oh, maybe I should treat others with better. You know, so we can look at these kind of models and all children that are healthy. Of course, there's some very, very uh, small um, exceptions to this, but all children that are healthy Mm -hmm. grow through these models. Now, there's other models of developmental theory that have been developed over the last 90 years that um, look at things like how our morality develops. So Kolber is a very famous person that developed the moral development theory, which talks about how as we develop and grow psychologically and mature, our morality and the way we frame our ethics grows up. So at the beginning, we start to we only do what's right to avoid being punished. And then we kind of grow up and only do what's right to get rewarded. But as time goes on, ultimately, hopefully, as you mature again, if you're healthy, you get to the point where you, you do what's right because you intrinsically think this is right and I want to do what's right in the world. Um, this is what's quite funny about Christians saying that if you deconstruct, you, you, what morality could you possibly have apart from God? Because yeah. most Christians actually are based in some of the most primitive forms of moral development. Yeah, um, yeah. But anyway, that's an aside. But you have these different theories of developmental theory. Now, one of them um, is quite uh, a famous one. You'll see it thrown around a lot. It's called spiral dynamics, and it's to do with our value system, so the values we hold. And as we look at how humans develop and how people develop, what we can see is, generally speaking, humans actually become a little bit more left-leaning as time goes up. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's quite natural as people develop for them to lean a bit more progressively, a bit more inclusively, being a bit more open, being a bit more global. Early on, you're going to find most people are very inclusive, exclusive, very much me, my family. They Mm -hmm. might expand it to my church or my town or my country, but you're going to find people that aren't as developed being very like, this is it. America first. Screw <laughs> Holland. Screw Ethiopia. Screw Syria. It's about America or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And you do it in the UK. It's not to pick on America. I'm sure people in Ethiopia do. You know, what I mean, I, oh, pick yeah, your yeah. country. I'm sure people yeah. have this kind of. But as people develop, they start to go, "Gosh, I could be that person over in Ethiopia. I could be that person mm-hmm. in Syria. If I had just been born there, I would be that person. Maybe I should 
have a bit more compassion, a bit like the child development, right? When they suddenly yeah. go, ooh, I wouldn't like my chocolate bar being stolen. And so what you find is that social justice um, issues that are quite prominent today that we focus on, now social justice issues have always been something that people grow and develop into. They're just different based on where we are in history. So yeah. you go back 500 years ago, social justice issues weren't about trans rights. They were about, should we be um, enslaving uh, yeah. you know, people of different races? Should we yeah. be colonizing other countries? In fact, we'd be lucky to have that conversation 500 <laughs> years ago. But I'm struggling to think of the exact topic of 500 years yeah. ago. But yeah. You can see what I mean, that there were people at that point who were developing, who were starting to think beyond themselves, and it was making them go, oh, I feel uncomfortable that my family owns slaves. Mm -hmm. Now, today, the conversation is maybe like, oh, I feel really uncomfortable with my white privilege got me that job over someone that was probably equally uh yeah. you know qualified or and so people are starting to do that but i think generally that's just part of growing up and and this is the thing people talk about deconstruction as a faith issue but actually it's really a subset of this change that's happening in them they're growing up and as a whole that's going to affect their politics it's going to affect their okay. outlook on life and things like that and we're looking specifically at how it's affected their religion Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, religion has been a huge factor for most people that grow up in that religious bubble. That religious bubble tells them how to vote. It tells them what to think about uh, Black Lives Matter that they're seeing yeah. on TV. The pastor's talking about it from the pulpit or whatever. So it's it's very intermingled for a lot of people. It becomes very uh, interlocked. But for, for people that are really interested in that development and what might happen and what it might look like for people that as they grow and develop, um, I would encourage them to look at something like developmental theory uh, in the subset of maybe spiral dynamics or ego development. Um, Cook Greuter has an amazing paper on ego development, which is really fantastic. It's been worked on for about 40 years and is constantly updated and developed with new data pools and stuff. The point being, however, that fundamentalism, it weakens, but it stays strong for quite a few stages. You're going to find that most people that deconstruct are still going to have a lot of fundamentalism. This is why I was saying it takes a while for that third stage yeah. to really flesh out. They're going to hold it with less certainty, but they might still be quite certain. You're going to see people going, eh, I'm not so sure about my beliefs, but I'm damn sure the beliefs I came from are wrong, right? You know, so there's <laughs> still that fundamental, right? So it's like, look, I'm not so sure I've got it all figured out, but I know that pastor's an ass, you know, or whatever, you know? So I know my mom's this racist idiot or, you know, like, and maybe your mom is a racist idiot. I don't know. Like maybe yeah. you're absolutely right there. Um, but I'm sure she's doing her best as well. <laughs> um, but I think there's, it's not so com it's not so simple that we can kind of go, you grow from one thing and suddenly you have no fundamentalism or suddenly you hold mm -hmm. everything with this loosey goosey uncertainty or anything like that. But what we can see as people grow up is that they do become more and more open, more inclusive and, and less um, rigid in holding the things that they believe. They might live as though, you kind of have to live as though things are certain, right? So yeah. I might be proved wrong that gravity uh, will hold me to this ground. Um, so yeah, sure. I might be, we might find some other better theory, but I'm not going to jump out a window. I'm going to live as though gravity is certain, but you yeah. know, I don't know. I'm not a scientist. I've not studied gravity. I don't actually really know beyond, you know, high school level how gravity yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not going to write a paper or stick my life on it, but I'm also not going to risk my life on that one. <laughs> um, so in some ways we have to live with some certainty, even as we hold things a bit loosely. Um, sorry, I'm a rambler. I hope. No, no, no. I'm taking yeah. a lot of this in and I'm just like, I'm glad I'm <laughs> have it recorded because I'm like, I'm not taking notes. Uh, cause I, I just like to listen, but I'll go back and 
write down the books and, and the papers and everything. Um, sure. I've got lots of resources. People once asked me, I can point them in the right direction of things. Um, but I've got, for Spiral Dynamics specifically, I've got a 15 hour YouTube series that people can watch that explains it and specifically Christ. how it affects uh, religion <laughs> and politics and stuff like that. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's actually, um, that's the cliff notes, believe it or not. That's like really condensed. <laughs> so do you think, um, how much deconstruction do you think is uh, related to people trying to overcome religious or spiritual abuse? Sure. I mean, probably a very, very high portion of it. Uh, I think it's, it's a complex, uh, you know, chicken and egg scenario a little bit there. I think a lot of people deconstruct because they have experienced abuse and it's given them the push to start mm -hmm. questioning their faith. That happens for sure. Our next study, actually, our, our early 2022 study is going to look specifically at the reasons people deconstruct, and we're going to be able to give mm. really good data on that. Um, but I would imagine a very high portion of people, like, you know, I'm, I have no idea. I couldn't throw out numbers. I, I yeah. really try not yeah. to throw out percentage range. But I'd imagine a, a decent percentage of people have been harmed and hurt by church. There's a study by um, Packard and Hope in 2014, and they were a Christian a sociologist pair that studied why are people leaving the American church today? And one of their primary theories was it's because people have been hurt by the church. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is they found that everyone had been hurt by the church. They were right, but no one had left because they were hurt by the church, which is really fascinating. Their, their, their sample size was in the thousand. It was well over a thousand people. And so what they found is that while, and deconstruction is not leaving church. It's, it's, yeah. you know, they're not exactly yeah. the same. Um, but what they were looking at is that component of like, look, do people leave just because they get hurt, just because of abuse? And what you find is actually most people don't. Most people don't leave because of that. Or if they do leave because of that, they have to have many, many rounds of that yeah. and a long yeah. exposure. You know, it has to be quite extensive. Um, and usually more things play into it. So more often than not, it's a very multitude of, of different things. But I think abuse can trigger asking those questions. But I think more often what you'll find is that People ask questions um, regarding a whole host of things for a whole host of reasons. And what happens is after the fact, they suddenly look back and go, oh, some of this stuff was maybe abusive. Uh, maybe some of this stuff was quite harmful that I didn't recognize. Yeah. In the same way, I, I think, you know, a lot of people leave domestic abuse situations because they are actively being hurt, right? Maybe someone goes, um, it, it goes a certain degree this time that pushes you over the edge and you go, I'm done, I'm out, I'm yeah. heading to a DV shelter or whatever, I'm filing uh, you know, abuse with the police or whatever. It gets to a certain point that that can happen. But often other people come out of the relationship for other reasons. Um, but what is overwhelmingly true of anyone in any of those situations, regardless of why they leave, is after they are out, they look back on that from the safety of um, uh, a safe space where they are no longer under threats, where they can evaluate it, where they can look at it within yeah. some context. Um, and what you'll find is they go, oh my gosh, that was way more abusive and harmful than I ever thought or realized. In the same yeah. way that many of us look at friends that maybe are in um, you know, abusive situations and relationships and we're, we're scratching our head going, <laughs> how do they keep going back, right? And, yeah, yeah. And the statistics there are you know, seven times you're likely to go back before you fully leave um, a domestically uh, violent uh, partner. Mm -hmm. um, what's interesting is in the church, they find that most people will jump from church to church three or four times before completely cutting off from the church. Yeah. Um, and so people again and again go, oh, maybe it's just that church, or maybe it's me, or maybe I need to find the right kind of church, or maybe it's just that pastor. And it, uh, People excuse and excuse because they want it to work for them. Yeah. And actually when they yeah. come out, 
Now, some people then go back in and find a healthy option. Um, between 29 and 34% of people that deconstruct stay within the church long-term. So it's oh, quite a high percentage. Okay. Um, uh, 21% uh, identify as Christian still. So, you know, it's, it's still a high percentage of people that deconstruct identify as Christian. Do they usually um, stay within the same denomination and community at that time? That's very rare, I think, generally speaking. Okay. I, okay. I don't have hard data on yeah. do people always stay within that. Um, we'll hopefully look at that a bit more at some point in a, in yeah. a study. Uh, it's so hard to pick which rabbit yeah, hole to no, go down that, with studies. Yeah, it, just, it just popped <laughs> um, in my head yeah. because it was just like, uh, I remember jumping churches and even my, my family jumping churches when I was younger. And I, I'm wondering like, do people like that, that are deconstructing if, if uh, they actually stay while they're deconstructing in that in that environment mm. or do they have to do it after they leave yeah uh, i mean anecdotally yeah, i can tell yeah. you a lot of people stay um because they don't have options maybe they're married and yeah. their partner is okay. still actively part of that maybe they're the pastor i've talked to plenty of pastors that are deconstructing going, i don't believe this anymore but this is my job it's my livelihood i've got kids uh, i've got a mortgage and as much as my church pays me 60 grand a year, you know how much Starbucks pay? Like that's my other option because I'm yeah. only trained to be a church pastor. Mm -hmm. So it's quite a lot of complex things. You have people that are still um, teenagers that are deconstructing. Um, of people that leave between the age of 18 and 29, um, I think it's, I'm trying to remember the exact amount. I think it's 82% of them that leave in that window in their early 20s, 18 through 29, 82% of them no, sorry, it's 79%. 79% of them decided to leave church between the ages of 11 and 16. So four wow. out of five okay. people that leave church in their 20s already had decided they're going at some point in their teenage years and preteens, some of them. So for a lot of people, they're biding their time. They're waiting until they're able to. They're, they're, okay. I think we, we miss, um, we underrepresent how huge the factor is of community of family of friendship and and these things are heavily uh intertwined for people you know it's very hard for them to survive outside of these structures um it requires you learning yeah. a whole new set of skills of how to socialize how to connect how to build community church does all of that for you even if yeah. you're terrible at those things church has events you can go to every day almost and yeah people yeah. people get on with you even if you're an ass people are like well we gotta kind of put up with terry even though he's a yeah. dick because yeah it's church she's a christian um so like you know it's very hard for a lot of people to un um tether themselves from these i talked to a young girl a couple of weeks ago she was employed by her parents living at home in a christian organization um so if she came yeah. out as deconstructing she would get kicked out of the house she would lose her job. Mm -hmm. um, it is, it's all at once. And actually she was getting married and there was different oh factors in there. And it was just so complex. And so we, I think we, we, we fail to see that there's so much complexity to it, but there's really good reasons that people stay in church as well for the time being, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for other people, they need to cut and get out of there fast. Um, yeah. Some people are actually quite, absolutely in abusive situations and then they need to get out of that um but a lot of people it is things like i need to figure out when's the right time to leave because it means i get kicked out of the house or it means i have no community anymore or maybe yeah. i have some people that talk to me especially people that deconstruct from mormonism their education they have free college education but only if they're still mormon so they mm -hmm. can't 
come out as going, I'm not actually believing this anymore. And I don't want to go to temple every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, we've just cut you off and you've just lost your, your degree, right? You've just gone yeah. from having a free bachelor's degree to nothing. Um, so there's a lot of complexities in, in these um, kind of things. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's fascinating, but a lot of people do stay within these communities um, for right or wrong. Some people stay because they love the community and they think they can stay and it will work fine. Yeah, I, I'm, as I've been doing the podcast, I'm realizing the difference between when I left the church being the location I was at, where I was like an hour from New York City, an hour from Philadelphia, and like, I could just basically disappear if I wanted to, right. compared to somebody else that lives in Alabama, where there's 500 people in their town, and 400 of them go to this one church. Mm. What do you, what do you do? And yeah. like, I'm good luck like, even applying for a job in that town though, yeah. especially the, this interesting data uh, we're going to be bringing out at the beginning of next year on uh, what percentage of people end up atheist, agnostic, Christian, you know, other faiths, new age, you know, mm -hmm. spiritual, but not religious, whatever. Um, but what's really interesting is looking at that regionally. Um, and there's a huge drop in the, the amount of people that become atheists who are in the South. Um, and a lot of that is to do with the fact that you can't say you're atheist in a sense. Yeah. If you, yeah. if people find out and it's a small town like that, you're not getting a job because for some people, I think there was a poll years ago, wasn't right. It was only like five, six years ago, but I think they did a poll in the South and they found that to be an atheist is worse than to be a Satan worshiper. It, the, the, <laughs> the study found that people would prefer, they would prefer their neighbor to be like a Satan worshiper than, uh, than an atheist. And I was like, how did that happen? I don't know. I think it's one of those weird anomalies. I don't know if it's actually true of anywhere in the world, but it was a funny study that I, I found one time. Um, but people don't like you being an atheist. You know, it's, oh, yeah. it's a big yeah. deal in certain parts of the world and certain parts of, uh, you know, different countries. I know in America, it's very different. If you're up in the, you know, the Northeast, it's very, very different. Or maybe the it West, uh, it's much more different if you're in the Midwest, the South um yeah i've always had a problem saying like i because i'm more agnostic i guess just because <laughs> atheism is like i there's no god like it's like i don't know you know <laughs> so i don't really know and it's even up here it's like i i, I maybe that's part of just grow like the growing up in the church and having that fear installed in you of you know <laughs> still dealing with it you know 20 years after I left and it's yeah. still popping up here and there, you know, and I feel like, Oh my God, if I say atheist, I'm, you know, you know, there's something in me that, you know, goes off where it's like this guilt seeps, yeah. uh, seeps in. But what are some of them? I know I kind of asked you this already, but uh, you said you traveled everywhere. And like, I remember one of the first questions I asked when I was a kid, like about salvation was like, what happens, what happened to the native Americans that were here before, you know, before us and before we saved them all, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I never got a concrete probably. answer. <laughs> What's that? So they were probably really happy before we all oh. showed up on the shores. I'm sure. Um, yeah. Sorry. Keep going. I didn't no. interrupt you. <laughs> so what are some of, I, I had it reason I had it uh, formed like what was what is this first like one that the most common question, but what's the most common first deconstructed question people ask and what's the weirdest one you've gotten? Oh, interesting. 
I'm going to have to think about the weirdest one. I think the most common one, um, again and again, that comes up is how people, people come into terms with, they've been taught their whole life that God is good. And they've been mm-hmm. taught, generally speaking, most Christian churches fixate a lot on the New Testament, Jesus, love, which is a great thing. I'm so glad that Christians yeah. do fixate on that. That's good. Um, God, bloody hell, what would it look like if they didn't? You know what I mean? Like, Because sometimes it's not good even when they do that. Um, yeah. But you know, that's a great thing. And so I'm not saying anything negative of that, but I think a lot of people, what's interesting is deconstruction tends to happen more for people that are well-read in the Bible. The the people Mm -hmm. that study the Bible more are more likely to deconstruct, Um, which is funny, right? Because pastors go, well, they didn't really believe they're not passionate. They're not that faithful. It's actually the exact opposite. Um, But the more you read your Bible, the more you attend church, the more you pray, the more you volunteer, you're more likely to deconstruct. But anyway, those people start to read some different passages. Those people start to dive in. Now, of course, a lot of churches will give you a message about, you know, Joshua going into the land and murdering everyone, man, woman, and child. Mm-hmm. Um, and we tend to just kind of ply through those passages real quick. We spiritualize them. Oh, it's about spiritual warfare. That's today. We think of that as spiritual warfare. We don't, you know, we're not condemning like a crusade again. You know, we've yeah. passed that by a few hundred years. But most Christians on some level have sat and gone, feels a bit uncomfortable that I, I, I got a few questions, but we tend to like kind of move past it and move on. But I think that's a big one is people start looking at the nature of God and they go, this God is murdering people. This God burns people in hell for eternity, but he's ultimately unconditionally loving. Well, surely burning mm-hmm. people in hell is not massively unconditional. And, mm-hmm. and so I think the nature of God being good and hell as a concept um, is more often than not one of the main factors. I think, um, another major one that's, that's become a lot more popular in the last few years um, is the issue of inclusivity, uh, especially around um, social issues. So issues of um, LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. um, or race is a massive one. I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the last couple of years where the, the church's reaction to Black Lives Matter in the last year was a major catalyst for them deconstructing. Um, a huge one within the last five years, um, b- between the years of 2015 and you know 2020, a massive one was the issue of Trump. For a lot of people, they really yeah. they they believed their church was loving, good, blah 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 blah. But when their pastor said, "No, this guy Trump is God's choice. He's a godly man. He's a whatever." Again, this skews massively to women, excuse massively to marginalized uh, yeah. groups, uh, different races, people that are sitting in the pews going, wait, you're saying this guy's a good man and he's boasting about sexually abusing women. I don't know what I think about my pastor anymore. And I'm not mm-hmm. so sure if that's, you know, so, so a lot of these social issues do catalyze um, because they they seem to conflict with what people have been taught their whole life. I saw a funny meme the other day, yeah. right? Which was uh, my wife shared it with me because her parents are very conservative um, and uh, they'd be more comfortable in America than in the UK, probably. Although we're <laughs> ridiculously right wing right now. Um, uh, and it was basically like, um, you know, our parents be mad because uh, we they grew us in the church their whole lives, teaching us to love everyone and love our neighbor. And then when we tried to do it, they go, not like that, you damn socialist. <laughs> um, and, and, it's, yeah. and, and I think the funny part of that is, is it's very true. A lot mm-hmm. of people in the church found themselves leaning left and finding that the church across the board and evangelicalism, certainly left is actually antithetical. Opposite. (laughs) Left is is the opposite of Jesus. 
Jesus yeah. is right-leaning yeah. politics. Now, whatever your politics, you could be right-leaning or left-leaning, is, that's not here nor there. Mm-hmm. The point being that when you start to go, well, Jesus is this, if you then are the opposite, you go, well, is Jesus for me? That's ultimately what's happened for a lot of people. So these are some um, kind of par for course ones. I'm trying to think of some fun ones. Gosh, I, I don't, I think the thing is, I'm not very surprised anymore. I've, yeah. I've been surprised so many times. I think probably the most shocking or, or the most weird or sometimes the, the, the saddest and the hardest ones. I think the, the things that um, leaders and pastors have done to people can sometimes be honestly, you know, like I said, I'm not shocked very much anymore. But when I started yeah. to do this, I was really shocked, really, really shocked to hear of people that have been abused and going to their pastor in confidentiality to go, this has been my situation. And the pastor taking advantage of that, knowing mm-hmm. that they're a vulnerable person and abusing them, things yeah. like that, yeah. which I'd like to say is, you know, we, we like to go not all churches, not all pastors. Um, but actually, statistically, a crap ton of churches and a crap ton of pastors, unfortunately, are, yeah. are like that. And, and I think those are some of the ones that they just break my heart. You know, I think those are the ones that we can all laugh about the intellectual kind of things yeah. that don't add yeah. up. And we can go, oh, that is kind of funny that we say this and we believe that, yeah. but we kind of do this. But when you start to look at the nitty gritty of like the day to day, how people are um affected i talked to a, a woman uh in fact i po- posted something the other day about um uh, abuse and and how the church handles people being abused in yeah. their in their families and i got hundreds of messages over the next two days from women saying that and and men as well actually i, I think we we gloss over that domestic abuse yeah. happens very often to men as well and um, but uh, it was a lot more for women and i think part of that is patriarchy in the church as well but a lot of women <laughs> Dozens and dozens of women messaged me over a few days saying, I was being domestically abused by my husband and I went to the pastor to talk to them and they sent me back because I was supposed to submit to my husband. Yeah, yeah. And and they didn't file a report with the police. They didn't do, because the church had taken care of it. The spiritual, this is a spiritual issue. This is a sin issue. You need to pray for your husband. We'll be praying for your husband, but you go submit. Um, and, and I think those are the ones that, it's just it's it's i can i can get my head around believing some weird stuff i've believed some weird stuff over the years <laughs> i was a very passionate christian for a long time and it was very very uh weird and some of the things i i could nif- cognitively dissonate yeah. myself out of um but I, god i hope i would never uh encourage a woman to go back into an abusive situation god i hope i would never do some of these yeah. terrible things you, you like to think you're not I, i'm not that person anymore and we we don't remember our past selves very well so who knows maybe i was a terrible person i'm sure people <laughs> my past would go yeah he probably was a bit of an ass um but i think those are the, the i'm trying to think of funny ones the, do you know what's really sad is most of my humor in my life right now is laughing about some pretty dark stuff because yeah, yeah, I have to I laugh about it. You, mm-hmm. you know that a huge amount of my work is, is creating memes to try and help people, to help people laugh and to connect with these things and yeah. to kind of draw out different um, emotions in a, in a soft, gentle way. But then we kind of really dive deep in comments and messages yeah. and things like that. Um, so I do joke and laugh about a lot of things, but I think the funniest stuff is often I'm having to make a funny uh situation out of some really dark stuff to try and comfort and and you know get yeah. through it and maybe kind of plow through with my religious trauma yeah uh we're do we're plowing through a series on joshua harris and uh mm. his cover-up of the sexual 
abuse in the church that he was a pastor of and Mm. it's just it's so eye-opening of like how this is systematic and it's just not one church or a few bad apples and that you know it's like the one dude that was supposed to protect your purity wasn't you know definitely wasn't doing that and it's just like damn where like who else suffered, you know, and like, how far, how deep does this go? And like, like, I see people like you and some other people online that that, from a growing community that I'm slowly getting into uh, doing a lot better work than other people did in the church, helping people, helping people with abuse and everything. So Mm. um, even if it's getting through intellectually, that's, uh, you know, that helps with some people. So that's that's great. I think it's awareness as well. I think at the end of the day, most pastors aren't trained to deal with these things as That's, well. Um, and they genuinely think they're too. doing the right thing with the right beliefs. And that they, they went to a Bible seminary. I was talking to, um, I think it was from my podcast. I was talking to someone um, that went through Bible school and, and they, they were telling, Oh uh, yeah. I was in a great interview with a guy called Derek Meyer. Uh, Myers. Mm-hmm. He's from uh, your favorite heretics, uh, which is a great yeah. account to follow. If people want to check it out. Um, they've got a great online community on Facebook as well. Um, if you're, unfortunate enough to still be on there um <laughs> but uh we talked about mental health a lot because he has some different um mental health stuff he grew up with and he was saying that when he was at bible college he had a whole um term which was dedicated to like kind of like um mental health and counseling and different mm-hmm. things like that. and he says his his um professor that was leading it he said that every single issue that is mental health is sin related and needs to be deal- dealt with as a sin. And, and yeah. he said the DSM is completely demonic and completely uh, irrelevant and should be ignored. And, and you go, wow, no wonder pastors aren't handling mental health right. Now, I'm not saying all pastors have had that level of no, dumb yeah, teaching. But still, yeah. But some pastors really have had that level of dumb teaching and well, that's the, that's them equipped and they think they're trained <laughs> now. Uh, it's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. We talk about a lot. It's be, you know, when like I went to my youth pastor and talked about depression and anxiety, I was told it was either your walk with God or it was uh, you're being attacked by Satan. And, yeah, you know, not that you had all these issues that, you know, needed to actually be addressed. So uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, that's discouraging what you just told me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, I've seen, I've had people that, you know what, something I've heard so many times in DMS, but I've, I've heard it in my own life as well is, um, I've had people that are suicidal close to me, go to their pastors and they've been told suicide and depression is not a fruit of the spirit. Joy is. So just get closer to God. You're clearly not close enough. And you, you tell someone it's suicidal. You're not close enough to God. That's why. Jesus, like yeah. that's not a helpful thing when you're already at the end of your tether, literally. Yeah. Like this is this is not helpful. Um, and yet that's that's what they think is genuinely helpful from the best yeah. of intentions, the best of hearts. Um, it, intentions don't matter when someone <laughs> goes and kills yeah. themselves, right? Yeah. I mean, like, um, and so the, there definitely is a call for the church to do better in these areas, even from even we talk about systemic things. Um you know, there was a huge uh, nationwide study done on sexual abuse in clergy mm-hmm. across um, America specifically. And it found this was a huge systemic issue, but they had different things that they basically um, put forward in the report and said, look, these are very simple things that we think if you added these protocols, 
there would be a lot less. Now, you're not going to get rid of bad people. You're not going to fix every yeah. situation, yeah. but these will help. And so one of the simple things was put a window on every pastor's wall so that a receptionist or someone can see into that room when he's doing counseling. You don't have to, that doesn't invade the person's privacy mm-hmm. while they're talking to the pastor, but they can see. And what they found is that uh, across Canada, it was largely implemented. Across Europe, it was largely implemented. Um, and sexual abuse statistics show that they plummeted because wow. of that one main thing. In America, pastors all across America fought it, and very few churches in America have a window on the pastor's wall. And you go, what is your um, your pride? Your I don't know what it is. I, I don't even know. I, I don't even want to throw it in. But what freedom. is it in you that you go, don't you dare? Yeah, freedom, right? I don't want you watching me whack it off to porn because yep. I'm yep. not abusing anyone. I'm just watching porn in my office. So I'm supposed to be preparing my sermon or who knows, right? <laughs> I don't know what they don't want the window in for. What but, have you seen? Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> um, no, no one ever wants to see the pastor's search history. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. But simple things like that, you know, you just go, these are systemic issues that can actually be handled quite systemically at times. Yeah. Uh, and regulations can force people's hands. Now, I think in Canada and, the, and Europe, a lot of it was regulatory imposed and that's why a lot of churches probably impose it probably wasn't the goodness of pastors a lot of the times i think a lot of pastors would be like oh if that helps i'll do it um but it just shows that these simple things can make a difference and it shows that so many people don't want to enact systemic change yeah they don't go oh i'm not a big i don't think i'm part of the problem i'm a good guy but hey i'll put a window in if that's what helps and if it shows it sets an example for other churches or sure like no don't touch my freedom Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a, uh, a manual on, um, I believe it was written from a legal team about dealing with sexual abuse cases and how to protect the church. And the, one of the first things was just implement background checks. Yes. Which is, I mean, everyone in the UK has to legally have a background check. If you're in that position, you cannot be employed oh. by the church without a background check. It's literally wish, not possible. I wish. Um, yeah, you nice. can't be a teacher. You can't be a pastor. You can't be employed. You can't even be a. You can't even volunteer to help with the children in church without a background check. Wow, um, that's just part of the law. And people just go, "Oh, yeah, of course. Well, that makes sense. We're looking after kids. Let's definitely do it." Because I know I'm not a pedophile, but you know what? I don't know that Steve over there or Julie over there isn't. So let's yeah. just enact this as a default thing. Or my church. I know my church doesn't have any pedophiles in. But that church down the road, I'm sure it's full of pedophiles. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, church yeah. on church violence. But uh, yeah, like, I, I don't I don't know. It, it just seems so, um, I think it is a big American thing. It's, it's an American yes. culture of, of demanding freedom. And, you know, I mean, you don't want background checks for guns. I'm definitely not getting a background check for me to be a pastor. I'm a pastor. I'm a good guy. Yeah. Or even helping out yeah. in the church. Yeah. yeah. Um, is... I had a question now I can't remember about like uh, regionally in the UK. Uh, oh, in in church growing growing up, this is just an off the wall question. Sure. Would your parents or people in the church just drop their kids off with somebody else randomly in the church, like just to watch? 
Oh, my parents did all the time. Like, because my parents okay. were busy pastors. Like, I, okay. I, I feel okay. like we were raised by thing. random old people every now okay. and again. Or, okay. I don't know. I, I feel like that was very common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I don't know if they, they, back then they probably didn't do background checks. I don't know. I feel like that's probably a more modern thing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a guy from church that took me for ice cream every Sunday. And looking back, I'm like, oh, he was like definitely the closeted gay guy in the church. He was like, <laughs> you know, he was in his like mid 30s, but single, but clearly like a good looking, mm-hmm. nice guy great but and i'm like yeah of course he was and, and my dad just mentioned to me recently he's like, oh he just passed away and i was like, oh what happened to me so like, well he died sick we never got married and i'm like yeah i wonder why yeah. but he would take me for ice cream every sunday so my because my parents had a lot of kids there was some sickness in my family so they would drop a sibling off here or there with random people in the church and yeah i think that was a very culturally normal thing on the whole okay yeah i pro i was just wondering because it's like something that we're just like i would never have done that with my kids like i would never do that today and like i'm just yeah. like ran randos in the church just because they're in a the church you trust them and right take my kids it's for the afternoon isn't it? yeah it's crazy yeah. um Which, yeah go, go ahead no go ahead finish your thought no, i was gonna say statistically this is a really interesting point but um there's much less sexual assault on sexual violence on kids today than there's ever been um mm-hmm. that peaked in the 50s uh kids today are much safer with a stranger than they've ever been um, and it, so it's quite interesting. Kids are much safer in public than they've ever been. Um, and yet we don't, we actually act the exact opposite. And I think, again, that's an interesting dynamic as well, because like mm-hmm. you said, like back in the day, my parents, parents no, right. They didn't even know yeah. this guy was gay. My dad is yeah. so homophobic. Even today, gosh, bless him. <laughs> he knows he shouldn't be, but he's very homophobic. He tries not to be same with racism. He knows yeah. he shouldn't be racist and he tries his best and he's got friends of different races. Like, That's his, his token. I've got friends, but he's still very racist. Like, he is a very homophobic person. Couldn't figure out this guy was gay. You know, like, so, um, but so they, they weren't like, they weren't the best immediate judges of character. My dad trusts everyone with a, any, with absolutely all times. He's always getting yeah. swindled out of something. If you listen to this podcast, you know, send my dad an email and he'll send you 10 bucks. Um, but, you know, so, but they just trusted everyone. And then these days, I feel like we're much more equipped. We're much more trained. We know what to look yeah. for. And yet, God, we wouldn't let our kids cross the road on their own. Never mind, you know, drop them off on their own. Or, um, it, it's an interesting cultural dynamic. Yeah. I think. I think part of part of it for me anyway is the fact that I growing up in the height of serial killers, child abduction times, mm-hmm. parents didn't give a fuck, you know, and it's just like, yeah. <laughs> but like they cared more about my spiritual uh-huh. health than anything physical. Like I could yeah. go out and ride my bike all day long uh, in any way, you know, and I didn't live in yeah. a safe neighborhood. And like oh, they straight up care. stranger things get on your bike yeah, cycle absolutely. away you could be fighting a monster at the mall for all your parents know it's but all i had good. to be there at church at 9 a.m sunday morning right you know absolutely so yeah that that's just it's a very weird so it is a very weird dynamic and now it's going to be something i got to think about for the rest of the day um <laughs> one of the major things i wanted to talk to you about and it's something that that i think well everybody has to deal with um how do you deconstruct while still holding on to your family and small communities? Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a yeah. very tricky way to go because you can lose your, like we've just saw you could lose your family mm-hmm. for not having the same spiritual beliefs. So how yeah. do we, 
go about that? And, and how do you provide, not just you, but like, how does this community provide a safety net that wasn't there 20, 30 years ago? Yeah, I mean, thankfully it does in a lot of ways provide a bit of a safety net, a bit of community and a bit of connection. Human connection is so huge. And, you know, the metrics on on human wellness, uh, you look across so many different metrics uh, for wellness again and again and again, being plugged into having a good group of people around you, friends, family, community um, is a huge metric for wellness. This is why actually a lot of times people in churches score well on wellness metrics is because they're around people that really do care for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, many of us have been in churches where other people didn't care for us and things like that. Absolutely. But I think on the vast, uh, majority of people that are plugged into a church actually have a bunch of people around them that really support them and care for them. You know, you get sick and Barbara's dropping off a lasagna for the yeah. family. You yeah. know, you've got Bob's offering to take the kids to the school that day, you know, whatever, you know, you can drop your kids off with random strangers in the <laughs> church, or whatever it is. Right. So these things, they're, they're huge. Never mind when you, when you close in beyond the community down to like, you're very close friends with them that community then to your family your your loved ones your partner your your kids your your parents you know these are really tight connections that that mean a lot and and have a huge impact on how healthy we are as mm-hmm. uh, as human adults um and so as we deconstruct we, we that's one of the biggest pressures you know what's interesting is um there's been some studies on people that lose their faith um, and again not everyone that deconstructs lose their faith yeah. a lot of people stay yeah. christian but a lot of people do lose their faith. And honestly, most people that stay Christian go through such a tumultuous, I'm really struggling today, my words, tumultuous change um, that it almost is losing your faith anyway. You you go from such a change in your type of Christianity and what you believe as a Christian that it's as good as losing your faith in that painful process. You can lose your connection to God. You can lose your connection to, um, you know, uh, a purpose and meaning in life. You can lose so much in that process, mm-hmm. lose certainty and stability. Um, what's interesting is when they ask people, what do you miss the most out of all these painful parts of, of going through these huge faith transitions? Number one, 100% of the time, again and again and again, is connection to other people. That's the thing that hurts the most, people losing their relationships with their family, their friends, and their community. Um, and so whatever we can do to mitigate that, I think it's impossible to say that every person in your life will still be your best friend after this process. That's not true. Yeah. It just yeah. isn't. Um, some people just can't handle uh, the truth, you know, to quote Jack Nelson. Um, <laughs> but I think we can do things to, to soften the blow, to work with the people around us. Unfortunately, for most people that go through deconstruction, they're going through a very painful, um, uh, intense time with a lot of mental health impacts. Um, and yet it's on them who are suffering, uh, to be the bigger person in the relationship with the other person that's doing great and completely happy and content, Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because they're often not in a place to be able to do that, um, to be able to be, uh, the bigger person maybe would be some slightly loaded language. (laughs) it's interesting. We talked about social uh, spiral dynamics earlier, but we talk about these value systems. I, I just want to touch on it. Um, two stages of that, because these are the two stages that are clearly represented often within deconstruction. And so one of the stages at spiral dynamics, one of the value stages is called, it's, it's, it's labeled blue. Often we prefer to use colors than names because names okay. are loaded, right? So if yeah. I said one of the stages was the dumb idiots and the other stage is the really <laughs> cool kids, which stage would you be, you know, happy yeah, to be yeah. in? Um, yeah. So now they're not that 
uh, overtly named, right? They're named things like modern and, and conventional and tribal yeah. and things like that. But even still, there can be some loading to those names. So we'll, we'll call it by their, their colors. So stage blue is a stage that values certainty, safety, and security. And it generally looks to get those things from a person of authority. Um, so generally, it looks to someone like a king, a pope, a prime minister, a president, a god, uh, a pastor, a parent, uh, to give them certainty, security, and stability. Now, if I haven't described 90% of Christians, 90% of most religions, um, I, I mean, I don't know what doesn't. You know, I mean, that really yeah. does sum up where a lot of people are in this place. So what you'll find is most of the people that you're about to have this conversation with about you not knowing what you believe anymore, but you having changed what you believe and you being quite sure of what you believe, but it's different now or whatever it might be uh, about you going, I think I'm going to leave church. I hope that's OK. <laughs> or I need you to process that um, and yeah. whatever it might be. Or I'm going to uh, move in with my non-Christian boyfriend or move in with my Christian boyfriend, but you're not going to like it or whatever yeah. kind of converse, the conversations we have are so tiered. And the smallest thing can be a huge thing to someone. Oh, yeah. But but what we need to be aware of is that these people are generally at that kind of stage. And so their value system is centered around and focused on feeling safe, certain, and secure. And so what you're doing when you come in to talk to your mother, and I want you to imagine your mother who is a wonderful, loving Christian. I don't know. She may be an atheist. I don't know. But she's, <laughs> she's this wonderful Christian woman, and she um, values feeling safe, certain, and secure. And she knows she's safe, certain, and secure because God told her, her pastor has read it from the Bible, given her a Bible and said, you read that, you'll see in there, you can be certain and safe and secure. And you know what's right and wrong and you're going to be in heaven and everyone else will be in hell. And you go in and go, hey, mom, I'm not so sure I'm a Christian anymore. What does that do to her three values of safety, certainty, and security? It flushes yeah. them down the toilet, man. Like it wrecks them, right? She immediately yeah. feels unsafe, uncertain, and insecure. Um, and so what we need to be doing is, and again, this sucks that it falls on the person that's going through this intense, yeah. hard time that's going through all kinds of mental anguish. Like it shouldn't be on you to be the bigger person, right? You don't want, uh, now generally the people that we're talking to may not be the person that maybe if there is abuse and harm, they might not be the key people behind abuse and yeah. harm yeah. Uh, because they love us, maybe a bit less likely. It can be very often though. Um, but to give it an, a, a a weak analogy, you wouldn't expect that person that's been abused to go back into that domestic abuse situation and be the bigger person in the conversation. You go, no, you don't have that conversation at all. Someone else can handle that for you. Yeah. Um, but what we're doing in this situation is, unfortunately, you have to, if you want to keep this relationship, you have to go into the situation where it's not particularly safe for you and it doesn't feel good for you. And you are very aware that this could go very south very quickly and could have real consequences if you don't get to speak to these people for years. Um, yeah. And you have to sit and go, right, how will mom respond? How do I word things so that she feels a little more safe, a little more secure, a little bit more certain? I can't make her feel absolutely any of those things. Yeah, there's going yeah. to be some some uncertainty, un, some uh, insecurity, some un, unsafeness introduced here while we have this conversation. But how can I mitigate it? So I talk to things about ice cream. Uh, talk to people about ice cream cones, right? So you, okay. you've got kids. Kids fall over, bang their knee, crying their eyes out. You give them an ice cream cone. What happens? They're not crying yeah. their eyes yeah. out anymore, yeah. right? By the time they finish their ice cream cone, they don't have a sore knee. They're fine. 
oh, oh it's blood just dried in. I'm good. I'm going to go climb a tree, right? And so yeah. I think ice cream cones can be really huge. And so I talk about things like um, when you're talking to your mom, you can say, hey, I'm not so sure what I believe anymore. And um, I've been questioning a lot. And, and, you know, one of the things you can do, I don't want it just now because it would make me a bit uncomfortable, but I would really appreciate if you prayed for me. Now, you might not even believe in prayer anymore, but you, you saying, could you pray for me, gives her control again. She starts to feel more in control. She starts mm -hmm. to feel, well, I've got certainty. I know my God answers prayer, so you'll be fine. Now, hopefully over time, as she works her way through that ice cream cone, she's going to have to come to terms with the fact that the knee's covered in blood and she's going to get over yeah. it. But yeah. doing things like that, um, it can feel disingenuous at times, but figure out ways that you can be genuine about it. You can go, look, I don't care. I don't care that she prays for me, but you know what? It's important for her. So I'll say to her, you know what? You could pray for me, and I really, I really uh, appreciate how much you, 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 you value me, you love me, and you care for me, and, and I would love it if you were praying for yeah. me. Because you know that's going to make your mom feel better. She's going to end up praying that. for you anyway. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh, so there's these little things um, that I try and figure out. How can I be authentic? How can I be true? Mm -hmm. But off, off, also, I don't have to say the whole truth. You know, so I have to go in and go, "Hey, mom, your God's a fucking joke." Yeah. Sorry, I don't know if Cussing's okay. But oh, you know, absolutely. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. I, I'm Scottish, so I've been like, biting my tongue the whole time. Uh, but <laughs> no, yeah, you know, you can't you can't just come in and scream, you know, and like grab the cross off the wall and snap it in half, yeah. and you know, like like now that might be how you actually feel these days, <laughs> and that's okay. That is okay. Mm -hmm. But it's maybe not okay while you're trying to have a dinner with your mom. And so it's like you're figuring out how can I be authentic? I don't have to go praise Jesus anymore. I don't have to say grace. I don't have to, um, you know go to a church to please my mom anymore but how do i work with her in a way that helps her more gently come to terms with some of these things and so i, I try and um work with people on helping people figure out some of those things for them in their yeah. family dynamics um that can be really really helpful now for some families sometimes ripping the band-aid off is the best thing um yeah sometimes yeah. it is actually having some time off and you might not speak to your family for a year uh, you might not speak to them for five years, might not speak to them for two months. Um, whatever you do, though, I think one of the things that's really important, I think it's really um, rare that Christians uh, are taught how to do this well, is to set up really healthy boundaries. I was just uh, going to ask that. <laughs> so I say this again and again and again. Boundaries are not to keep people out. And that's if it is taught in Christianity, generally speaking, boundaries are taught to keep people out mm -hmm. as a punishment. Um, but boundaries aren't to keep people out. It's to show people how they come in. And so we set up a fence and there's always a gate on that fence. And that's the door. And the door has a lock. And the lock is you respect me. You respect what I believe. Mm -hmm. You treat me with re respect. You don't pray for me and lay hands on me and start praying right in the middle of a conversation. Or you don't tell my kids that they have to come to church with you. Or mm -hmm. you tell my kids that they're going to burn in hell if they believe what mommy and daddy believe. Or, you know, some, some, some parent grandparents can be really uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so starting to set those boundaries and, and, and learning to go, I'm going to have to set some consequences on those boundaries, which are you don't get to have this level of relationship unless you go through the door. That's the way you get this level of relationship. And until you can open that door healthily and well, you don't come in. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's really hard for us. I think we're not taught to do that well. I think it's really hard for parents um, because they are often taught very unhealthily. Uh, models of honoring your parents, respecting your parents. They see that as really disrespectful and you just need to do what we're told. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we deal with this with my, my, my wife's parents. Um, 
they treat my wife as a child. She literally, until I got married to her, she sat at the child's table. She was like 30. Um, you know what I mean? But like, <laughs> um, you know, so yeah. It, and I'm not, I'm not, that's not an exaggeration. That's actually yeah, true. I, and so like, yeah. you know, some of these more extreme positions on like, no, we are the parents. We're to be respected. We're to be honored. And children are there for our benefit and they will obey us until we die. Uh, and yeah, I think yep. that's going to be hard for them to deal with. And so you're going to, again, you're going to hit some walls. And so the problem is with a safety, certainty, and security is you're going to start dismantling that for these people. And generally, they are going to have a little bit of a meltdown. They are going to need time to come to terms with yeah. it. They are going to get upset. They are going to yell. They are going to stop speaking to you for a while. Some of those things are going to happen. Absolutely. Maybe all of those things. Um, I can't give you an outcome that works well. And, and the yeah. problem is as well that you find is that generally speaking, while you can imagine the stage that you've been at, so you can think back. I can say to a seven-year-old, do you remember what it was like to be three? Now, their memory might not be great, but they have an idea. I can yeah. say it to you and you go, yeah, I mean, I don't remember being three, but I, I understand what it's like to be three. I can look back on a stage. But if I was to say to you, do you remember what it's like to be 60? You go, no, I can kind of look at six-year-olds and kind of like imagine, but I have no idea what it really yeah. is like to get to that age or 80 or whatever. Um, and I think that's the problem that we're dealing with is that we can remember what it was like to be a conventional Christian mm-hmm. um, or whatever faith uh, background you come from. They have no concept for what it is to grow beyond that. They have maybe they understand what it was like to be pre-Christian, Mm-hmm. But that's a big misconception. That's not what this is. You know, that, that we don't just need some better teaching or uh, a prayer and we'll suddenly be fixed like they were yeah. when they were non-Christian and now they're Christian. No, we, we, we've been doing that our whole lives. We could teach the Bible better than our parents can sometimes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I think the problem that you have is that they genuinely don't have a paradigm to be able to f- put you in. They don't understand where you're coming from. Um, and so we're talking at cross purposes. It's a lot like someone from Germany coming over to Florida and talking in German to someone that only speaks English yeah. and expecting them to understand. They're, they're not going to understand. They might be able to guess based on some gesticulations yeah. that they want to yeah. catch a cab or something. But, you know, we're going to have to speak the same language. And unfortunately, because we've grown beyond that stage, it's on us to come back and speak their language. And I think that requires a lot of intentionality and thought. I would say, give it time. Don't force yourself. Take all the time you need. If you need to create a bit of distance from your family, that might be the healthiest thing for a while. For a, while. Um, it, a lot of people decide to drip feed this. So one of the things I say often is, how long did your deconstruction take? For a lot of people, this is months, years of mm-hmm. unraveling what they believe. That was hard, right? I mean, how many times did you just pull your hair out and feel like, oh my God, I'm going to die. This is the worst thing that's ever happening to me. That was as you were processing this over months and years. Yeah. Yeah. You're expecting your parents to process this over 45 seconds. <laughs> yeah. What do you think yeah. you're doing to this person? Of course, yeah. they're going to want to pull their hair out. Of course, they're freaking out. So I think as well, one of the things I often say to people is, let your parent know, look, this is really hard for you. And it was really hard for me. And I'm still processing what this means to me. And I, I, I want support. I want love. I want care. I don't want preach that. But I do want some you know, love. But I also understand this is really hard for you. And I can't be your, your pastor in this situation. I can't mother you through this or whatever. Um, but I do want you to know that I'm not putting any pressure on you. I don't need you to be anything right now. Yeah. 
You can be whatever you need to be. I don't even need you to respond to this. Some of the th- sometimes I say to people, tell your your family members before you say anything. Look, you don't have to respond to this. If you want to go away and think, and then let me know what's going on, or you don't want to ever respond to it, that's okay as well. I, I'm just telling you so you can know where I'm at. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that doesn't put the unfair dynamic on expecting a loved one to be able to process this deal with it and then respond in an amazing way good luck right yeah, i wouldn't be able yeah. to do that i would of course i would respond in a bad way you're putting me on the spot you're telling me something that's turning my world upside down you're telling me that my mother or my son or my cousin is going straight to hell because that's what they're hearing right it's mm-hmm. like because ah, nah, nah, nah. um, hey that's what we thought when we started to deconstruct oh my god i'm gonna go to hell if i don't yeah. believe this so you know it's, these kind of feelings and thoughts are common um of course they're gonna really struggle to process this and respond and so i think Having some of those dynamics. I know that's a lot and it's all over the place. I've no. got a little video called, um, what's it called? I think it's called like how to talk to loved ones uh, about your deconstruction. And you can find that yeah. it's on my podcast and video, YouTube and stuff. Um, that might help. It's a bit more in depth and a bit more clear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I can, I can see it from my, my angle because I'm at the point where I'm about to rip the bandaid off with, uh, with my mother. Um are you just but gonna send your links to your podcast? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> cross my mind. No, uh, yeah, there's a long history there of like childhood abuse and everything, and but uh, yeah, but I also understand of just talking to someone that you love and grew up with and had that relationship with, and and you want acceptance of of where you're at in any stage of your life you know and it's like i'm i'm beginning to do this you know and it's hard for a lot of people to come to the realization that you're not going to get that acceptance and that's a tough christianity teaches us to value above all being right as Mm -hmm. approved by a higher being whether it's god's your pastor or your mom right? Yeah. It's, it's built into the whole system is that you need to be right. You need to be in the right belief doing the, excuse me, doing the right thing. And the person that decides whether in your right belief or the right thing is your pastor, your mom, your gods, whatever it is, usually all of the above. And the second you step out of being right, you're wrong. You, you, you need to feel shame, guilt. Yeah. You need to work yeah. hard to become what your parents want you to be again, what your pastor says you should be doing, what your God wants you to be like. Um, that's inherently built into these systems. And, and so we're, we're inherently, we're, we're marching into some serious trauma that we've, we've got. And, yeah. you know, you know, we talk about tearing the bandaid off, but it's like a recent bullet wound. You know what I mean? It's that, that, yeah. thing's barely, yeah. that thing's barely holding things together and we're ripping uh-huh. it off. Uh-huh. You know, we yeah. can expect a lot of blood loss here potentially. And, I know that sounds really morbid. That sounds really um, uh, pessimistic. Um, but I think having a healthy pessimism going into this as well, and and not being pessimistic in the sense of this is the worst thing that will ever happen or it's terrible, or but recognizing this isn't likely to go amazing. Now, yeah. in saying that, I've talked to people that go to their parents and they talk about it, and their parents go, "We were scared to, to unravel your faith because we know you loved God so much," but we deconstructed 10 years ago, or, you know, I've had people have those conversations. Um, So they always surprise me, those kind of conversations. And and it does go well. Sometimes some parents are going, we really totally disagree, but we love you. We support you. We want to be here for Mm. you. We above all just want you to be happy. So there's, there's good outcomes for sure. 
but and and then there's the extreme bad outcomes but usually it's something in the middle usually it's parents going i love you but this is so hard for me it's really upsetting me trying to come to terms with it i don't know if i can be around you right now because you're making me mad or upset or you know so there's all sorts of outcomes but i do think holding it with um with on some level an expectation of there's a good chance this goes badly and that's okay yeah. Um, I, I don't need it to go well. I think that's that's where things go really bad for us is when we hold these really unrealistic expectations. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's just not going to, like, you know your mom. You're like, ah, she's probably going to really struggle with this. It's not going to go perfectly. Yeah. Um, I, the best I case scenario is she proves you end. wrong. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I Yeah. It's, uh, and I know that a lot of people are deal with that. At the, I'm very... I'm very realist when it comes to a lot of things and I know that how my mom's going to react to this. And so I already know what's going to happen, but I know that there's people out there that are on the fence. who are just like, Oh my God, like, I don't yeah. know what to do here. And uh, like, I don't want them that to hold them back from sure. finding happiness, you know, yeah. and, and, finding and you can't find happiness by not telling your parents. I, I've, I oh, know yeah, people absolutely. that decide, I think it's easier if you live on the other side of the country or he barely talks them or, you know, but yeah. I, I know people that are like, you know, my parents are in their eighties. I'm oh, just going to yeah. weigh out the clock or, you know, like, <laughs> and so uh, there's different arguments to be made here, you know, for different situations. Just, so don't, uh, don't hear me giving advice on how to tell your family yeah. as you have to tell your family in the same way. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I think there's a lot of parallels with um, people, our, our family in the LGBTQ community coming out. Um, but I think it, it's a limited uh, oh, parallel. Yeah, yeah, I don't want yeah. to minimize anything, what, how hard that is and how, how bad that is. Um, but there's some parallels there. And in the same way, I would say to as much as I'm on any level qualified to say anything to anyone that's LGBTQ to, to take their time and do it in their own space. I would say that to someone that maybe I am qualified to talk to someone that's deconstructing and say, look, take your time. Yeah. Do it in your own space. Make sure you're in a place where you can do this. Um, now, of course, some people much, again, like um, people that are outed, uh, who, who want, wanted to come out at a certain time and were outed before, that happens to a lot of us as well. Mm-hmm. A lot of us were planning, oh, maybe we'll tell our parents next year when it's the right time and this thing's finished or I've moved out and I'm at college now or whatever. And your bratty sibling outs you or whatever and goes, hey, he doesn't even believe in God anymore. <laughs> or you actually posted something on uh, Facebook. And it got, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you like something or, you know, yep. oh, look, there's Charles. He's liking the satanic temple. Or, yep, know? yep. <laughs> Two thumbs um, up. Yeah, it's just it, these things happen as well. And, and sometimes it is just shit hits the fan and you've got to deal. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. not, uh, it's completely out of your control. But as much as it is in your control, I think there's great, uh, reason to be intentional and and to think hard and, and fast about these things and, and be really intentional about how you go about these things um, because if you can mitigate how much you prod that safety certainty and security it does increase the likelihood of it being easier not necessarily yeah. good but less bad yeah 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 <laughs> and one last question i want to ask uh as i'm just diving in so this is i don't even know if i'm going to include this or not but uh how do you, cause I, I heard you recently, you, you said that, um, you don't push beliefs and you don't do anything like that. And I really appreciate that. How do we deal if, if I'm going to be part of this community and if other people are going to join this community, how do we deal with branding and monetizing? Because I know mm. with a lot of people coming up in the church, one of the big problems was you see money 
and and people yeah. grabbing for money and people coming through the church trying to get money like what do we do as a community and as somebody that has influence even if it's over one person um how do you handle that and how do you stay true and honest it's really complex it's, it's extraordinarily complex and i think there are um different power dynamics at play um that have been inherited from christianity mm-hmm. um you know i'm very aware there's two white straight guys uh that are you know from probably middle-ish class backgrounds talking yeah. on the podcast you know we we are exuding patriarchy and <laughs> all kinds of white privilege <laughs> and different components um and there is dynamics of that needs to die you know there does need to be an amount of uh change in who has the microphone and i'm, I'm very aware of yeah. that as i hold a microphone every week yeah. and do a podcast and i put stuff out there and i'm and, and i'm a person that is uh on some level in a spotlight um i think the biggest thing i would say is is um to anyone in this space that's wanting to to help people to speak um is spend more time listening and helping and being there for people than actually speaking and yabbering on about your own views and your own perspectives and and i try and do that as best as i can i, I do better or worse depending on each day um <laughs> but um, you know, I actively have decided from the get-go, I, I've never charged for anything I do. I don't monetize anything. Um, and I give everything for free, um, including speaking for mm-hmm. hours a day with people, giving away all my resources. Everything is absolutely free. Um, and, and I live by donations. But I'll tell you, I live, I make less than $20,000 every year. Most people yeah. can't live yeah. on that. So yeah. um, me and my wife live very frugally, <laughs> very yeah. frugally. Yeah. Um, no, this but I think like people a, are... Like- no, like, no, no, absolutely yeah, yeah. not. I'm okay, just, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. trying to give like, so that's yeah. my model is I'm very yeah. conscious of, you know what? I would much rather people are um, funneling money into voices that have been marginalized within evangelicals. I think that the nature is that the people that are most likely to get up and speak in the deconstruction community are the people that were already speaking in evangelicalism and, and Christianity. And I think mm-hmm. that's the exact opposite of what needs to happen. I'm sure there's space for some of those people to speak. Um, and, and I am one of those people. I'm aware of that. Um, but God, if I actually do myself out of the job, I'd be so happy in some ways. I really would. I, I would love for people much more qualified and better at this than me to do this. Um, but I think there, I would much rather, I try what I do with my giving, the, the little giving I can do on my income is I try and elevate uh, and, and finance the voices of people that are, Black, Indigenous, people of color, mm-hmm. people that are, I try and, on my podcast, I try and have as many of those people on. I try and have as many females as I can. You know, these are voices that we didn't get in the church. They were downtrodden and, and ignored. Um, people that look differently. You'll look on the space and everyone in this space is a, a good looking white guy or woman or something, <laughs> or a white passing at least. And, and you know, and, and hey, like, I don't know, like, um, I'm trying to do my bit as the ugly guy coming in, you know, um, but um, you know, I, I think these are these are real dynamics at play. You know, mm-hmm. church put the 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 pretty people at the front and said, if you're not yeah. like this, well, sure. you're not quite as good. Um, and so, you know, I think there's some of those dynamics at play that I try and um, push those uh, people, elevate those people, um, make sure that mm-hmm. finances are, are are funneled as much as they can to that place. But I do think every voice is welcome in this space. Every person has a story. Every person has a journey. Um, you are not to be faulted for your privilege. 
but I do hope that we are all aware of our privilege. And so I'm not going to fault myself for being white or being straight yeah, or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that means I don't get to have a voice. I just think it means I have to be aware of how much I'm speaking. And am I speaking at the expense of other people that maybe I need to be hearing much more from? Um, and so I think that that's something that someone like you, someone that I, we need to think about when we come to the table and go, hey, everybody, I want to make money from this. I want to do this full time. And I think that's a great uh, thing. And I think people deserve to be paid for their labor, for their time. Yeah. Um, I, I've done this because I think a huge portion of people in this space have been abused financially mm -hmm. um, yeah. in a lot of ways. They've heard from their pastor week in, week out, you need to tithe 10%. You need to give an offering on top of that. We've got a guest speaker. You need to give to them. Uh, you need to buy my book. We're doing mm -hmm. a course. We're doing a conference. We're doing this. You need to do this. You need to give to this mission. And it's, it's nonstop. And we come out of that and go, I have just been financially raped for decades. Yeah. And I'm coming out going, how do I find healing? How do I find direction? Where do I go next? And there's another guy that doesn't look that much different than my pastor going, hey, if you just pay $200 and do my course on how to deconstruct or, hey, if you just whatever. Um, so I, I would, you know, I would just be conscious of that and be experimenting with how do I, um, how do I pay money to monetize? I think monetizing, putting ads on podcasts. Um, yeah. That's a great yeah. thing that yeah. doesn't, yeah. Um, yeah, that can pay bills, or, but you know it better than I, better than most uh, as a podcaster. We don't make much unless we're a big deal, right? We're not Joe Rogan. Spotify aren't buying us out for a yeah. million uh, or a hundred million. Of that. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's you know we're not paying bills off of monetizing our podcast probably. Yeah, um, I it's it was something that really yeah I was I was talking about in therapy just because like I was just like God, this like it makes me feel dirty, you know? Like I haven't made any money off this podcast, but like just in like I I as I'm exploring. And going through different uh, accounts and websites and yada yada yada, I'm like, I don't want like I it would break my heart like if somebody just like I'm monetizing this to make you know deacon uh, money all you know making I'm not saying money I'm just like I'm making a overabundance you know and this has become yeah. a a I'm I'm the deconstruction brand. And yeah. that that freaks me out a little bit. And I, I know it freak it would freak other people out that have gone yeah. through the same you, thing. You will so see that on different scales in any movement. I mean, and yeah. you know, uh, Joshua Harris, a prime example, right? The guy mm -hmm. got crucified when he brought out a course, and probably rightfully so. And, yeah. and I, I I would say um uh, there's probably nuance to that argument as there is in any argument. I mean, that guy probably has bills to pay as well. And he's trying to figure out how to pay bills as a pastor. I, I don't know. Right. So I'm not, yeah. I'm not yeah, trying yeah, to yeah, yeah. advocate for him, but I'm saying there's nuance to any of these discussions, but I think rightfully so he probably wasn't the person to be putting out a course on this. Um, and charging <laughs> for it. Um, but, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, we, we, I think we as a community are intentional. I think on the whole, there is a discussion about this. There's a big discussion happening right now in this, this recent week. Um, it's a very contentious issue. I, I don't particularly want to go into the details of it, but it's it's centering the discussion around, hey, a lot of voices in this space are pretty white women and they're making their living out of this space. And honestly, if you weren't a, a pretty white woman, whatever pretty means, uh, you know, like uh, yeah. that's a problematic concept term, whatever. Um, Already to start with, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much to be said there terms like conventionally attractive and things like that get thrown around and whatever that means. But at the end of the day, if you were different, 
if you weighed more, if you were darker skinned, if you were X, Y, or Z, um, you in the church have grown up feeling less than mm -hmm. the person on the stage. And there's an element of that is being reinforced again in this community to some degree by some people again not intentionally no one's yeah, saying oh yeah. look at you trying to you know make everyone feel bad or no one's no one's trying to make anyone feel bad that's not the, the the point but there's this complexity in that and there's a oh so how do we deal with it what do we do with it? is it time to go maybe i should be doing something else maybe i should go into this i don't know i think about this daily i think like am i a guy for this like i, I do research okay. i've been helping people for a while so i'm like i've got some qualifications to some degree but should I, should someone else be qualified? Surely there's plenty of other people that are qualified that are different and probably deserve a voice just as much as me. And, and so I think that's something that you're very likely to just wrestle with the whole time. Um, <laughs> I, I, I have okay. no clear cut advice. Um, I try and do it by, I try and minimize uh, certainly on the financial aspect as much as I can by just going, I'm not going to ask uh, I, I, I put at the end of my podcast, if you want to support me, you can do it this way, but yeah. I, I'm not going to require finances for anything I do. Um, but that honestly comes at a very high cost to me and my wife. Um, yeah. And it's because I really am passionate about what we do. Maybe I have some kids and I suddenly go, I can't do that anymore. So I'm going to have to get a job and stop doing it. Or I have yeah. to start charging. Maybe I'll put out a course at Joshua Harris. I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I do know I'm not going to do that. Um, but my point is we don't know what the future holds and we don't know necessarily what's right and wrong. We can only figure it out as we go. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'd be interested to see how you, how you navigate it. I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by how different people navigate it. Yeah. I think it's just because I, it's, I'm new at this and like, this is like, I, I like the whole community is like just coming at me in like waves because I've never done this before. So like, like I was really into music and doing music podcasts and, and, and stuff like that. And like, this is something that just through therapy, it was like, I need to do this. And now I'm wrestling with that. And it, it makes me feel a little bit better that you wrestle with that too. That it's just mm -hmm. not, it's just not a me thing. And like, yeah, yeah I want constantly. as many voices as possible and like every other week i try to do like a voices episode where i have somebody mm. come on and it's just basically whoever wants to come on you know so yeah sometimes that's great i think doing yeah. doing that and finding people that you go you didn't have a voice within christianity let's have a voice outside of it let's see yeah. what yeah, what do you have to absolutely. say and that, that's a brilliant and wonderful thing to do and i yeah. think uh, that's what i've tried to do as much as possible have, uh, most of my podcasts are someone else um, yeah. i get complaints that i talk non-stop during them but still <laughs> um I have ADHD, so I just monologue. That's what I do. I, I constantly right. talk. But yeah, um, yeah I, I think I think at the end of the day, as long as people are listening, and and I mean listening, you know, yeah. you're not listening if you're not making changes based on feedback. Mm -hmm. um, but I think as long as people are listening, I think that's the the best we can do at the end of the day. Yeah. We can't be perfect at the bat every time, but we can go. Oh, that's affected these people this way. That's affected those people this way. Oh, yeah. that's affected people like me differently than I, than I thought. Maybe they aren't like me, you know? Uh, and so we start to think about these things differently. We start to go, oh, how can I make a difference? We start asking people, how can I do it differently? And, and it, of course, every suggestion isn't going to be possible, right? Yeah. I mean, how many people suggest things in our lives? And we go, you have no idea. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's complex, but yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll figure it out and do well. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, hopefully so. But yeah. Um, I thank you very much for coming on. Uh, I know you have somewhere to go and I have to go to the chiropractor. So, um, oh, wow. yeah. Uh, but 
thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate your time, uh, and I know you're a busy man. Uh, but thank you very much. Great. For being open and honest. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, again, thank you to Phil for coming on and taking his time uh, from his very busy schedule to join us. Uh, and if you want to uh, follow him, you can follow him at phildrysdale.com. You can look him up on Instagram. Um, that's how I found him. Um, I believe he has a Twitter and all the other social medias. And until next time, you can follow me at chazxcure or 17 underscore seconds on Instagram. Uh, you can listen to my other podcast that Gavin hosts called The Holy Hour, where he and I talk all things Cure-related. Yes, the Friday and Love Band. Um, and you can listen to Donovan's other podcast, Laughing With You, Not At You, where they talk mental health issues and being parents. Uh, Chrissy is not here to give us a book, so go read a devotional this week and feel better about yourself. And until then, uh, at peace with your spirit and all that other jazz, and everybody say, I like my looks. I like my personality. But maybe the reason.